Thank you uh, for sharing those thoughts uh, with us today. I'd like to invite you just for a few minutes to turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Pastor Brent read just a few moments ago. 2 Timothy in chapter 2. Just a couple of thoughts that uh, more than a real exegetical message going verse by verse, but just a couple of thoughts from these verses. Hopefully there'll be an encouragement to you as a local assembly who's been so instrumental in causing this seminary to come about. And we're so grateful to the Lord. I'm so grateful to our board uh, made up of a number of men that are here that uh, God has used you in a powerful way. We had a you know, our board meetings are not short. Thank you, Gary Bryant. They're not short. They're long. And so we uh, get together, we talk, we share, we pray, we think, and we're challenged with one another so that we might be able to uh, really see God uh, sharpen us as an institution. And so spending, like yesterday, spending all morning from 8 to noon uh, together, it, it's a delight. It's a great joy. But I'm so grateful for men who give up their time, their energy. Thank you, wives, who allow that to happen. Some of, this is the only day some guys have free, and that you allow that to happen, and all the executive meetings that take place uh, in the evening. Uh, just, I just want to say thank you, and uh, my heart is greatly, greatly encouraged by what takes place. And as a church, uh, for your finances, for your prayers, for your encouragement, I want to I thank you. There's a fundamental imperative in verse 1 of chapter 2 that when you read this imperative, from this imperative come a number of grace imperatives. And so the Apostle Paul is about ready to meet the Lord. And so this is the last words that he's going to write. And so he writes it to his son in the faith. He says in chapter 2 and verse 1, my child, back in chapter 1, he says, my beloved child, chapter 1, verse 2. And so he is writing him, his, and he is not like, he, like Pastor Brent shared with us in Philippians, where he was in a hired house, but here now he is really in a dungeon and he has nothing. And his days are numbered. He's already had a pre-trial, that pre-trial he realized, at that pretrial, he realized that he is he's going to die. And so he is waiting for the ultimate when he stands before the judicial system of Rome and they condemn him to death. At that pretrial, according to chapter 1, everyone forsook him. All, of, all those in Asia just left him. He is by himself. Interesting that in chapter 1, verse 16, there was a man by the name of Onesiphorus, and Onesiphorus would seek him out, even though... He had a pretrial that he was condemned, he's going to die, and yet he was unashamed to seek him out in prison. So as he writes his child, he writes to him, and I love the way the text lays it out in verse number one, in the fundamental imperative that would be for all of us. I want to grasp these final words. I want to latch on to these, this final statement. And this is what he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Actually, be strengthened is an imperative, but it's a passive imperative. In other words, you are to be strengthened, but there's something that's going to cause this to happen, and I want you to be willing for it to happen. 
So it might be better even to think of this verse this way. You then, my child, be empowered by grace. The only grace that you'll find which is in Christ Jesus. Be empowered by grace. It's interesting for a man who's being condemned, he's not asking, hey, help me get out of here. Please tell the people in Rome that I, I have really been misunderstood. Please help people who have deserted me because everyone has deserted me. Chapter 1 tells us in verse number 15, everybody in Asia has turned away from me. Go tell those people that I'm really not this bad. There, there's been some miscommunication. But that's not what's from his lips. What's from his lips and through his pen is this. You, my son, I want you to be empowered by grace. And the grace that is found only in Christ Jesus. When we talk about being a grace church, when we talk about being a grace ministry, when we talk about being grace people, what Paul is saying, when my life boils down to a single imperative, let me give you that imperative. This is what I think about. As I'm sitting in ready to die. This is what I'm thinking. I want to be empowered by grace that's found in Jesus Christ alone. Why is that so important? Remember his testimony? Let's just stay within these 13 chapters called the pastoral epistles. Turn back to chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. Would you do that with me? I think you'll see how much grace meant to him and his understanding of that. Verse 12, chapter 1, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithfully, appointed me to his service, though I formerly was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Look at verse 14, and I love the translation of the ESV. And the grace of our Lord, what's the next word if you have an ESV? It overflows. It overflowed for me, and the overflowing of grace resulted in two things, faith and love. And these two are in Christ Jesus. You see, for the Apostle Paul, when he talks about this fundamental imperative, be empowered by grace, Paul experienced in his salvation the the absolute uh, spectacular. It's the only word I can think of is spectacular. So it's a word that helps me describe Niagara Falls. And the 167 feet and the 750,000 gallons per second that go over and fall down that 167 feet. I mean, it's spectacular. It is breathtaking. It is beyond definition. You cannot take a picture of it. You cannot explain it. You have to experience it. You've got to come and stand here and see this incredible waterfall. How else can I, can I help you? Except, come here, see it. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy in chapter 1. He says the grace of God was absolutely spectacular. It was was beyond definition. It is breathless to me. It overflowed in my soul. And when it overflowed in my soul, out comes faith and love. And these are a direct result of Jesus Christ himself. I think it's important for us, men and women, that the God who created the Niagara Falls did something spectacular in the life of every person listening to me right now who knows Christ as personal Savior. I mean, he overflowed his grace in your soul. You got that? You got that? It just overflows. 
And the way you know it overflows is this. Out comes people of faith and out comes people of love. And out comes this incredible focus on the one who gave that to him because grace by definition is a person. It's not a thing. It's Jesus Christ. So when I look at this text uh, from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy, I I want you to understand, he, he says, I want you to be empowered by grace. This grace that overwhelmed me, it's absolutely beyond definition. It began the moment I received Jesus as my Savior. It just overwhelmed me, overflows. Some translations say super abundant. What a great thought that is. Turn over your will to Titus. And look at chapter 2. Not only is the grace spectacular, but the grace is transformational as well. Because he says here in verse 11 of chapter 2 in Titus, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodlikeness, worldly passions, and then to live, which I think is the key verb of this section, The grace of God is not just training us to say no. I love the NIV translation, to say no to these things. But also the grace of God is also helping us to live. How are we going to live? He tells you right there. This is what grace does. To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. It is possible in this present age to live. To live with these thoughts. To live with this definition, self-control, upright, godly. How can that be? Because the grace of God is transformational. The grace of God appeared to all men. And that grace of God is now training us, educating us. It's sharpening us. And it's telling us what to say no to. And it's telling us what to say yes to. And then, verse number 13, you're waiting now for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are, we are people who are impetuous. I mean, even our popcorn has to be done in the microwave in a minute and a half, or we're unhappy. We believe that. Everything has to be quick, 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 now, 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 now. And the grace of God so transforms us that we now can be people of patience and we can wait where they focus on Jesus Christ, and if he doesn't come immediately, we're okay with that because we know he's got a timetable. And the grace of God has already overwhelmed us. And so out of our life is coming faith, out of our life is coming love, our focus is on Christ Jesus, and we cannot wait to see him face to face. We're thrilled about that. We're really thrilled about that. And then in verse 14... This Christ gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And now, guess what? We are zealous of good works. We didn't do good works to get saved, but now that we are saved because of faith and love that's flowing through us and because grace is sharpening us and teaching us to say no to this and yes to that and focused on Christ alone, patiently waiting for him. In the meantime, we're not just sitting there with our hands folded and twiddling our thumbs and looking at one another and saying, what should we do? But grace is overwhelming you, overflowing you, and now you are zealous of good works. And so people of faith who are able to really trust God and act accordingly, people of love 
who are really looking at brothers and sisters. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciple, that you love one another. First John, if you say you love God and you do hate your brother, you lie. And that's just not the work of the grace of God in your heart. And so Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, here's the fundamental imperative, be strengthened by grace. Grace strengthens you. Grace as a person, Jesus Christ is doing this in your life, overflowing. You say, well, I'm not really overflowing in faith and love. Well, why not? Because it's like the Niagara Falls. I mean, it's going to happen for those who are believers. Maybe, maybe it's just a, a question of now I need to get on my knees and ask forgiveness. Maybe, maybe there's something that's hindering the flow of the grace of God through my life. Maybe it's disobedience. Maybe it's rebellion. Whatever it might be. But this is the fundamental, empower, fundamental imperative that empowered by grace. And for Timothy, this is what it looks like in verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust this to faithful men so they might be able to teach others also. What's amazing to me about being empowered by grace, Paul says, Timothy, you cannot teach what you do not own. So I want you to own this doctrine. I want you to understand what this is about. And so you look through the pastorals, it'll help you with that. But I want you to be empowered by grace. Now, all of the things that you've heard from me, as you think of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which this is the last book, the first book he wrote, A.D. 49, just before the Jerusalem Council. He wrote the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians, he starts right in, the gospel of grace, which is the gospel of Christ. And I'm, I marvel that you so quickly move away from the gospel of grace. From the time he began writing 17 years earlier to this particular time, 17 years later, he begins with grace. He is now ending by saying, be empowered by this grace. And I want you to take what I have taught you, and you've heard this from my lips. Many witnesses can testify to this. I want you to take this. And I want you to accurately disseminate this to people. It's interesting that he says... In your translation, it could be entrust, or some of your translations say commit. Paritithum is an interesting term. It's a term that I would, it means to lay in order. To, to lay, like, like you would a railroad track. You take a railroad and, and you lay it, and, you, and it has to be absolutely precise because the train's going to come over top. So you lay it in order. And as you lay it in order, now it's going to be very easy for that vehicle to go across and do what it needs to do and take what it needs to take to where it needs to go. But this is exactly what Timothy is to do. Timothy, make sure that as you are empowered by grace, that you take the gospel of grace and lay it out very carefully because he's already written that over and over again there are people who are distorting grace. There are people who are taking grace and and morphing it into their own image. It has now become a license to do what I want to do, rather than a picture of Jesus Christ who overwhelmed me at my salvation so that faith and love just pours out from my life. And so when I look at this particular text that's here in front of us, 
I, I want you to know that this is, this is, this is, I don't have a title for, people ask, what is the title for your message? Here's what I've written all the way across my page. Paul's words to Timothy that capture my heart for what we are doing at VBTS. That, that's not a very good title. But that's, that's how it's captured me. That's, I sit in my study and I think about the blessing of having Pastor Brent and Colonial Baptist Church and the joy it is for me to come and to be able to worship with you and to be able to be linked arm in arm with you in this particular ministry. We are indeed what Pastor Brent said. We are churchmen. It's about the church. But then the church has designated us and gave us a few little you know, square feet over here so that we might be able to take students and bring them in and say, hey, listen, we really want to lay in order for you the gospel of grace. We want you to leave here, and you may not dot your I like us and cross your T like us, but we want you to know you're going to get grace right. Get it right. And I'm not so much concerned about how you're implementing these things, but I'm very concerned that you are able to get grace right. Correct, And when you get it right, you are going to be overflowing in a spectacular way before God with faith and love. And there's going to be transformation. And then it's going to be a passing on and laying it in order. And notice what it says, laying in order to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's a very difficult thing, brothers and sisters, faithful men. I mean, how do, how do we tell if they're faithful men? I mean, I struggle with being faithful. Do you? I do. Man, I tell you what, I, I love what my dad said to me many years ago. It's been a, such a comfort to me. He says, he said, Daniel, I went to him because I, I just felt like there's just these the thoughts that Satan can throw at you. I mean, it's just so amazing. And my dad made this statement. I've never forgotten it. He said this, that in my most pious prayer, I can have my most heinous thought. And as soon as he said that, I was okay. Dad, if that's you, I'm okay. I'm all right. <laughs> You see, brothers and sisters, we, we, we walk in a body of death, Romans 7. And so it is very important for us not to think, well, just because you're getting a degree in seminary that now you are qualified to do A, B, or C. Let me tell you something. MDiv never qualified one person to ever be a pastor of a church, ever. A PhD never qualifies anyone to stand and to really have the blessing of God and to do what he is supposed to do with people. That, that, that's not true. These, these are tools of God. In fact, really, it's the hard-headed that need the degree because it takes so much time to get that stuff in there. So we've got to spend three and four and five and six and seven years because we're not getting it right the first time. So you laymen that haven't been to seminary, you got it right. You're the sweet heads, we're the hard heads. How about that? So here we are. And there's the scariest thing is graduation because you have all this pomp and circumstance. And you have all these robes. All the robes are doing is covering a flesh that is depraved. That's all it's doing. But where does the work take place? I love what Albert said. Where does the work take place? It takes place when I'm going home. And I love exactly what the Schrader said. We go and we talk about this. It's become a conversation of 24-7, back and forth. We're going back and forth on this. Talking. Commit this to faithful men. So, so one of the things we do here, and I've had students even just in the last couple of weeks share with me how difficult it is that we will not accept any person into our seminary 
unless their church and their pastor will fill out a sheet that says church recommendation. Your pastor, your church says, we think this guy's qualified. We're going to, we'll, we'll stand behind him. So they have to do that. You can't just fill out an application and come to seminary. You have to have a church say, I really think this person can come and can turn into whatever God wants them to turn into for his glory and for his honor. Um, a faithful man. People who can lay out grace properly. All because of the motivation of being empowered by the grace of God. And let me just finish this way. Second Timothy was not written in a vacuum. When you read First Timothy and Second Timothy, it's written to a person by the name of Timothy, but it was expected to be read to all the church. In fact, look at the last verse of Second Timothy. You can find the same thing in First Timothy. The last verse is chapter 4 and verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with, and what's the next word? All you have it. You. But Pete has learned something here when he came from New Jersey to the south. Did you catch it? He learned y'all. Did you catch that? It's second person plural. You see, you, it could be a second person singular, or it can be you, a second person plural, because Paul knew that this letter was going to be read to the entire church at Ephesus, and that's going to do several things. Number one, that public reading of the letter is going to hold Timothy accountable so the church knows how Timothy is to act and what he's supposed to do. And then number two, it's also going to hold the people accountable because now Timothy has had Paul standing behind him say, Timothy, this is how I want you to direct the church. So it's, it's a double emphasis. Maybe 15% of the first century world could actually read. Think of that. So when this, is, this text is opened up, please understand this is a text where it is being read publicly and Timothy is to look into the congregation of the church at Ephesus and he is to find men who will be faithful and he is to commit to them, lay out very carefully the things that Paul has taught him about grace and the gospel of grace and truth, lay it before them so that when he leaves, and he's going to leave 4 and 9, he's going to go see the Apostle Paul in jail. When he leaves, that church is going to go on because grace is right. It's not about being a Baptist. It's not about being a Presbyterian. It's about people who are consumed with grace. People who understand the overflow of Jesus in my life is I actually now am beginning to look like Jesus in my daily life. I don't say what I used to say. I don't act the way I used to act. How do you explain it? I'll tell you how you explain it. Because the grace of God is sharpening you. It's teaching you to say no to this and yes to this. It's all because of him. Nothing because of us. Nothing at all. You say, do you get that animated in seminary? Yeah. <laughs> I say to us today, brothers and sisters, this has been a great joy. For me personally. To be able to sit here with my wife. 
and hear the word of God taught as we have in the book of Philippians. And to rub shoulders with you. And to know that we are linked together, heart to heart, not just arm to arm. But we have a mission. Our mission is not sitting in the comfort of this place. Our mission is to take what we have learned of the grace of God and the gospel of grace and to move it from our neighborhoods to the nations. It takes work. It takes energy. It takes finances. It takes mistakes. It takes hurts. It's challenges. It's students who are willing to say, you know, I'm getting this. We have people who are leaving the north to come to the south. We have people who are leaving jobs because God is upon them to accomplish something for his glory. And the outside world says, that, that's ludicrous. And we're saying, no, God's hand is on you and to help our students to, to not be distracted. This, this is the challenge that we have as leaders, those of us who are moving now in a different direction in life as we think about seeing Jesus face to face. What do we want to impart to these people? So would you pray with us and will you continue to uphold us? And I trust that as we think about this text, this is that which has been on my heart and on my mind so that Christ can be exalted in all things. Thank you so much, Pastor Brent, for allowing. In fact, would you come, Pastor Brent? I'm going to ask of the faculty and staff if you come here. We're going to actually kneel down here, have you all stand in just a second. Just go ahead and stand. All right, come on and stand. Let's go ahead. Come on, faculty staff, come right down here. We're going to kneel down, and Pastor Brent's going to pray for us and uh, that God would use and bless and um, accomplish what only he can do. We would invite the faculty and staff uh, to stand here in the front. And let's invite deacons or pastors, if there's some in the group, let's gather around them and pray for them. Uh, so if you're a deacon here in the assembly, if you'd come as well, and we want to have a special moment of prayer uh, for uh, the faculty and the staff as they start this school year together. Thank you for being a part of this service. Uh, thank you for putting up with our tears as we rejoice in what God is doing Nothing has been more joyous to me, perhaps, than being here. I guess I've had many joys, but ranks right up there, being able to serve side by side with Pastor Daniel and his leadership in the seminary. So let's pray for the seminary as they start the school year. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, as we contemplate this seminary and, and your good work and your grace to it, we pray that you would bless these faculty members and the staff as they initiate this school year. Uh, Father, we would pray that you would give them strength, uh, that you would give them focus on the tasks that you've called them to partake in, that you would, in your good grace, give them the strength to live in godly ways, to say no and to say yes as we've heard of this morning, and to be strengthened by grace to overflow with faith and love. 
Father, as has already been mentioned as well, we pray that you would give them an overwhelming desire to know you. Just like our students, to know you and to love others. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I ask you all to just remain standing here as they all disperse back to their seats. At uh, this time, we're going to attempt to do two things. We're going to close out our service with a final song. The song is Be Unto Your Name.